But what we do need to understand is that regeneration, true regeneration, needs to literally be self-seeding, self-providing, self-creating. So we don't know what's going to happen. We don't, we have to leave room for natural growth, change, evolution, or transformation of any sort. Welcome back to Travel Beyond, where we partner with leading destinations to explore the greatest challenges facing communities and the planet, surfacing their most inspiring solutions. I'm David Archer, Editorial Manager at Destination Think, and I'm recording this from the coastal village of Dajingit, British Columbia, which is in beautiful Haida Gwaii, the territory of the Haida Nation. And I'm Rodney Payne, CEO at Destination Think. I'm recording from Revelstoke in British Columbia, Canada a city on the territory of four First Nations, the Sinaiks, the Sequetmec, the Silks, and the Tunaha. We are talking about the role of travel and highlighting destinations that are global leaders. We talked to the changemakers who are addressing regenerative travel through action in their communities, often from the bottom up. And we're actively looking for the best examples of efforts to regenerate economies, communities, and ecosystems. So please do reach out to us if you have a story to share. Last time, we heard from Darren Riwi of Taketuya and his son, Mike Riwi, the executive director at Manatahuna Charitable Trust, and they brought, both brought us a Maori perspective on care for the environment. And we also spoke with Tim Bark, the CEO at Lake Wanaka Tourism, who told us all about the collaboration across Queenstown Lakes and the community's input toward the goal of reaching carbon zero by 2030. So check that episode out if you haven't been there yet. Um, and in this last episode of our six-part season, we're talking with Trent Yeo, Executive Director at ZipTrek EcoTours. Trent is an imaginative entrepreneur who has spent his career educating people about sustainability and travel, and he'll help us all articulate what a better future looks like in Queenstown Lakes and beyond. And Rodney, this conversation reminds me of a quote from sci-fi novelist William Gibson. He says, the future is already here, it's just not evenly distributed yet. Would you say that idea applies to regeneration in travel? Definitely. I think it's the purpose behind wanting to explore the solutions we're seeing around the world in this show and in our other work. I think that there are many inspiring examples that people or organizations or communities have put in place that the world needs to know about and that they need to be able to rapidly adopt for their own communities. The Queenstown Lakes community seems to be among the rapid adopters of the world. Uh, which parts of the future do you think have reached Queenstown Lakes first? I think a widespread understanding of the human impact on the world around us and a, a reckoning of what needs to change and an inevitability of that change, plus an optimism around what it means to lead and go first and why that's beneficial and why decarbonization actually triggers a cascade of other benefits. I think when I think about Queenstown Lakes, that's what really inspires me. And that's what gives me a lot of hope uh, that that actually is an example of the future for the rest of the world. Yeah. And, and Trent is a part of that future locally as well. 
Um, can you introduce Trent for us a little bit and, and how he represents that future? Yeah. So Trent's an incredible guy that I've been following online for, you know, as long as I've been in travel and, uh, he actually spent a lot of time here in Canada with his business and, uh, has relocated to, to Queenstown where their business also works. Uh, and I think Trent's sort of one of the pioneers of sustainable tourism or ecotourism and, and just a consciousness of the impact of, um, humans and of humans who travel and wanting to do something about that and using travel as a way to educate people. Yeah. Yeah. Travel's got a huge potential for teaching people. That's, that's something that I always love when I travel is learning about new places and, and people, ways of life. Um, part of our project here is to, is to uncover stories of hope and transformation and also challenges that people might not know about yet. Um, and I think there might be a danger that some people might look at Queenstown Lakes and say, well, they're way beyond us. They've set a goal to reach carbon zero by 2030. I cannot possibly imagine the political system where I live doing that. There's not enough support for rapid decarbonization or maybe not enough skill, not, of us, not enough of us know what to do about it. What would you say to someone who might think that way and be a little bit hesitant? I think that effective leadership that I'm seeing is all about being brave enough to go first. So I'd be thinking about what can you do in your life or your business to show what's possible and that it's not scary to make some change and that actually that change often results in cost savings or new employment opportunities or other co-benefits that, you know, people may not see or realize. Because I think if we can show possibility, we can show, um, we can show what's on the other side rather than something abstract, right? If we can show that things are working and there are different approaches uh, around the world. And this really is, you know, one of the benefits that travel brings is to see that another way is possible. And I think that's a lot of the purpose behind uh, Travel Beyond and and this show is to connect with the people who have made change so that we can really learn from them uh, and, and create content that can be easily shared in other communities so that um, the best ideas from around the world can be adopted. Yeah, I, and I love thinking about the kind of constellation of, of uh, great initiatives and efforts that are already making an impact in different places and how we might be able to bring those ideas and people together uh, to cross-collaborate or just to inspire one another. So on that note, let's go now to your conversation with Trent Yeo, Executive Director at Zip Truck Tours in Queenstown Lakes. The last couple of weeks for me have been really inspiring. And in a week, I have to go back to what I'm calling normal society and try and integrate again after having like inspiring conversation after inspiring conversation. And we've been really lucky um, to be able to come back and talk to you again. Uh, there's a few people we were revisiting and wanting to dive deeper on a few sort of themes that are emerging. And we've had lots of chats, you know, and you've been helping us with the project that we're doing to look at how do we achieve this massive ambition to decarbonize by 2030 and how bold and aggressive can we be? And even for me on my own journey, I'm learning so much as we go. 
and it's challenging me and my thinking and my behavior. And I love that I'm getting pushed harder by the community here. Um, so I, there's so many questions I want to ask you and I'm just going to throw them out. So you've spent most of your career educating people on the imports and the environment through travel. Is it working? I would say my aspiration for talking to people has for sure been really quite limited in its impact. I would say that people come to us for a zipline adventure and that's cool and they should go home with the fun and safety that that brings them. What I'd love to do is bring them a contextual piece that helps them to understand our connection with place because that's why we are set up. Um, I think that the worldwide travelers are looking and seeking for more in their experiences though. So I think that you, all you can do is give people an opportunity to learn, be inspired, etc., um, And they will take what they want out of that. What I would say is we've had some extraordinary emails and commentary back to say I wasn't expecting that level of integ integration with the sustainability story and the sense of place and all that sort of stuff. They thought it was just a whole lot of good times and we're a low impact business, but our whole business is designed to tell those stories. So as the marketplace changes and is seeking more and uh, value out of their time, which is the most valuable resource, um, I think that businesses that are storytelling, particularly storytelling around impact change and design are going to become more important. Um, I think it's, it's hard to assess the real value of what we do. From a basic and background view though, is I believe strongly in the idea of memory making and that memories are wholly based on an emotional state. A heightened sense of fear or heightened sense of uh, enlightenment or a heightened sense, like, like not enlightenment, but sort of like fun and adrenaline and heightened, all these heightened senses. That's what we remember out of anything in our lives. And so whilst we're traveling, whilst we are disconnected from our own reality, our own world, I think we have a responsibility to tell a story during those what I consider to be potentials for transformational moments. I think of, of most of the people that I've sort of followed and know in the travel space, like you're one of the earliest operators that were really, really beating the drum for more environmental components to tourism. Do you feel a growing sense of urgency? Yeah, I think about our business and I think about the way we set it up and I think about the message that we talk about and all of the things that we do to the nth degree and I'm like, I don't want to be the only one doing it. In a way, like it's a marketing edge for us and it was for a while. But I, I'm, I'm, I'm tired of that. That's not what we can possibly hope to, to be the future. Um, so my, my, my internal aim is to build collaborators around this and to see other people making real changes in the way in which they do their work. And it's not just tourism, right? It's just, for me, it's business, the economics of business, the interactions of business, the manner of being in business, I think needs to be uplifted. And that's, um, yeah, maybe that's what the next 10 years about. Are you seeing that change? 
what I'm seeing in our community is um, a, a kickback on general business as usual development and evolution. I'm seeing a rise in community groups um, trying to gather to deal with systematic challenges. I'm seeing a government, local government as well as a national government, um, really legislating and building some structures around support and, um, and enabling green technologies and, and new innovation and all that sort of stuff. In terms of the marketplace, the marketplace is slowly shifting and it depends on which international group or which domestic group you're talking about. I do see some movements, but it's still really early days. I still feel like we're kicking into the early stages of the, of the exponential um, around the marketplace. In terms of peers, I've got more peers to talk to about this and suddenly the work that we're doing is popular and interesting. And so we're definitely collaborating with more people around the work that we're doing and our aspirations. And you know what? Some people, all they can think about is catching carbon and throwing it to the ground. And other people can always, only, the, the only thing they can think about is don't travel ever. And I think you should let them both think about those things because we probably need all of them. And humans don't need to all move, do work on the same thing. It's funny because when I come down here, I feel like I've joined the future, right? And it's like, I feel like I can come and see what the future could be like where so many businesses uh, exist to help protect or restore some aspect of the environment or community or society. And it's, it's really encouraging, right? That people are shifting their priorities. And you alluded to behavior change. That's a really good topic for us to dive into because I think that's something we both have talked about a lot. How do you see the suite of solutions required and particularly sort of zooming in on the end of spectrum down at behavior change? You know, what, what sort of things do you think about and what, what do you wish that others could think about more and, and start to try? So my like classic commentary around people is there's stick and there's carrot and there's a big culture in the middle. And so I think we need to get out sticks and we need to get out carrots. Um, but the culture in the middle is what really drives the movement forward. And so for me, it's about gathering your greatest challengers to this idea and bringing them along for the ride. Um, and, it's all, and it's about empowering the people who are already moving that direction to move us forward, to normalize sustainability work into the bell curve or regenerative work into the bell curve. Um, so yeah, so there's like stick, don't do it. Carrot, let's give awards to people who are doing it and money possibly for that. Supporting those who are deeply, let's say, high energy users, if, you, if you're talking about carbon or, um, or like high impact, and then also helping people who are already doing stuff like shaping our future and um, uh, sustainable Wanaka and WOW Festival and all that sort of stuff, all of those good people doing good stuff, they have a chance to spread and build that into the bell, into the bell curve. So, so I'd say behavior change is complex, but it's surprising what you can do in 10 years. What sort of behaviors do you think, like if you, if you look 10 years out, what sort of behaviors do you think will need to have changed? I think the idea of 
travel as it is now will be revered more. It will be possibly in more expensive and probably possibly should be more expensive um, given the potential for impact. Um, I think um, that people will normalize doing good stuff that let's say super green people already do. Um, that will people will have a perspective on the greatest impacts of their actions. Um, flying is one of them, but it's not just flying. Um, on the ground, it will be normalized. Lots of things will be normalized that are kind of edge at the moment, like the idea of repairing things instead of throwing them out and buying the new one. Um, the idea of um, choosing who we get power from, choosing where our KiwiSaver money goes, right? That's a huge one. Is where, does, where are we investing in our future? Um, uh, working with partners who are aligned with our values, not only in our home life, but our work life. I think that there is a gap there. Some people do it at home, but they may not do it at work. Um, and I think the economics of our place won't be the only driver of impact and high change in this place. Maybe we'll revere people who are also doing lots of work which doesn't get paid very much money. We, we currently do really appreciate entrepreneurs and risk takers, but only really in the economic sense. And unless you have economic success, the work isn't as valued. And I think that's crazy. Like there's so many people in our community that have done so much and spent so much of their lives investing in this community that are not heralded as much as they should be. You and I both have five-year-old daughters and it was cute watching them play and tease us the other day. Um, how did your life change and in particular like in related uh, in relation to climate and environment? I, I think that having a child, children, is important, but I suppose I never realised how much it would affect the way in which you literally wanted to hand over <laughs> the world that you live in. Um, I do feel like it's a direct response, like a direct responsibility. It's like if when she's 18 or, you know, whenever, she's probably 12 when she starts to get feisty, is she is going to say to me, like, did you do everything you could? Did you do it? Did you do it in the way which you thought was appropriate? Did you work hard enough? Or was it just a thing you did on the side? And I kind of, I do, I do really, I feel responsible for that. One thing that I would say is it's not just people with kids, though. I think that you can think about yourself as an ancestor of other people. And if you think about what our parents would expect of us and, and the value, like the values that they instilled in us, I think that they would expect us to do a, as good a job as we saw, as we think is important um, and could sustain another generation of humans, you know, and, and further to that. I think that we shouldn't forget that we are ancestors of others and they have an expectation for us too. Do you feel hopeful or fearful about the future? I think it would be wrong to say, I don't feel hopeful and fearful about the future. It is a tension which, as I've described before, makes me feel unsettled. Um, unsettled to a point where I'm not like exasperated and given up to despair. But 
the one thing that I would say about that, this is a sense of haste, uh, a sense of urgency, which should relate to the idea that our council and our country has taken on climate change as a climate emergency. And I wish that some of the takings, learnings that we had from COVID through that emergency could be taken to this challenge and problem, which is much more wicked, much more complex. What I love about the 2030 plan is not the ideas in it, but probably literally the date <laughs> that we've suggested that we can achieve it or, or that we've, we're aiming to achieve it. And of course, I would suggest it's not really a moonshot unless it really is going to the moon. Um, so I just think that the seven or eight years that we have to get there is, is, a, is a long way to bring a lot of people. And I think that there's already people, as we've met here, that are already in that headspace about opportunities that exist and the challenges that may be structural or funding or behaviour change, right? But uh, once again, I, I just think it's the rate of change and it's the rate of change of moving the bell curve. Um, but I also believe, maybe this is an example of hope, is that people here are pretty smart and see the writing on the wall, see the opportunities in business or for their not-for-profit or for their community group to move in a certain direction. So I kind of think that there's eyes wide open sort of view of we need to make change. What makes me hopeful is that we've done this. We've put a line in the sand, which is extremely important if you're trying to jump a way to find funding mechanisms, a way to get structural, legal support to change. Um, and I think that it sends a message for sure outward that this could be a beacon of hope or a exemplary case of a community coming around an idea. Uh, so I think we're capable of it, but we haven't done the work yet. The word that I would just always go back to is regeneration. Um, that we will, we can set aside a strategy which is great, we can enact it, we can have all the players, um, we can have uh, keystone events, we can have key, key capabilities that we need. But what we do need to understand is that regeneration, true regeneration, needs to literally be self-seeding, self-providing, self-creating. So we don't know what's going to happen. We don't, we have to leave room for natural growth, change, evolution, or transformation of any sort. Like maybe something really big is going to happen that we had no idea that would happen that will help us to do this. By the same token, we don't want to allow for that. We want to make sure from a risk perspective is we want to handle 100% of the things that we know we have to do and be ready for other possibilities. But, but I do believe that inside a plane like this, we have to be aware that we will be surprised and possibly negatively as well as positively on our journey towards all the regenerative um, strategies that we have goals we have we both live in relatively affluent places and you know new zealand and canada are pretty lucky countries how um how do you think about privilege and this challenge 
So one thing that you can say about tourism is tourism is already a privileged. New Zealanders are privileged. We have access to this amazing places, but also like all the basics we need plus more. I think that we also have a disproportionate impact on the earth per capita, per head, per person, you know, myself. And therefore we need to use it with utmost care. I think distribution is important. I also think that understanding your own footprint and responsibility is important. I think that tourism and travel is a huge part of humanity. It's not just something we do for fun. I think it, it is fun. Um, and myself as a, a multi-generational nomad is what I would say, is um, I've recognised the importance of family, heritage and culture. And I've personally always been involved in travel and recognised the value of not speaking the language, of being the outsider, of being humble in places that um, I'm the foreigner. And I, and I think that that is another part of humanity, this idea of exploration and adventure, of challenge, which I think is super, super vital. As a place, we're a point in time for people's memories. And I think that we have a great, great potential of creating those memories to be meaningful memories rather than just emotional memories. So once again, I, I, I just think that the idea of travel is really important to me culturally, historically, but I think it's important for humans. And as a person who loves to travel and does it, I say, more carefully than I've done it before nowadays, is I think that we, yeah, we just need to, we need to do travel better. We need to do people movement better um, because if we can't do it better then as a business person, I don't want to be involved in travel industry. One of the reasons I wanted to come back and talk to you in particular is something you said a few times about how travel can be a force for good. And I know you really believe that. How do you think travel can and should use its privilege to change hearts and minds? And do you think we're at risk of losing our social license if we don't? Yeah, I think that the travel, travel is significantly a dispersal of ideas. It's an interchange of humanity. Um, and um, uh, although arguably unnecessary, I think it's like without inspiration, I don't know where humanity goes. Um, I feel like the special places on earth should take it as a special privilege to do a really, really good job. And one of my talks that I normally do is tourism in the last paradise. Like I, I, I believe that New Zealand is one of the places that has so much going for it and hasn't lost some of its innocence in a way. Um, but the idea of social license and the idea of the people enjoying that interaction needs to be tested. And I think that from all sides of the interchange, I think it needs to be reassessed how we're doing it. So I think that tourism and travellers need to think about how they travel, what they do, what their interactions are. We all have to do it better. And it's not just about communicating it that we're doing good stuff, right? It's actually about doing it really like so much better than we've ever done it before. Um, I've also recognised 
as a person who worked and still works in sustainability regeneration is that we just can't do it ourselves. Like as an entity, even though we're a, you know, we employ a handful of people and we, we pay our taxes to do this and we interact with our community to do this, that, that, that the change that we require is a network and hub sort of perspective that this, this place needs to become one of those hubs, not the hub, but one of those hubs and to share and spread the opportunity and the inspiration of place, um, move it to a respect of people and place. Um, and I don't know, I just, I, I feel like this is uh, one of the greatest platforms we've ever had to punch above our weight um, and to do what everyone really believes in and move intention to action. There's been a lot of, you know, a lot of stats and innovation and ambition and awesome things happening, but I, I like to ask everybody, you know, what does it mean to have a beautiful future? And, and describe what that is to you. I mean, and it, that, that can take so many forms and that's a very personal question. So what does it, what does it mean to strive towards a beautiful future? I, I think the idea of a beautiful future is um, an aspirational future like a, a positive future is really important because once again, if you can't imagine it, it's not possible. Not, it's definitely not possible. So for me, let's say by 2030, my daughter will be 12, let's say. And I, I think that she, she would feel like that she has, she had the most opportunity for her going forward, going into her adulthood as I had at least. Um, and that we started to recognize the days of easy and cheap oil, gas and coal was over and that economically, equitably and practically it was just better to use uh, uh, decentralized energy sources, um, classically renewables. I think that there'll be a lot more collaboration about the opportunities that exist true sustainability or a regenerative approach. Another thing is like that there's a sense that wealth is created and it's distributed fairly, not evenly, but fairly. Because I kind of think that one of the challenges to growth is with that hasn't happened, that, that some have gained a lot and some haven't gained a lot. Um, and that the travelers or transients that are coming through this town feel well respected. I'd love that, um, our housing situation was was not remedied, but there was solutions that were coming out the woodwork, that were coming out that were probably going to be ingenious because I'm not sure if I've seen anyone really nail that anywhere in the world with, with the same characteristics as us. So I can imagine a whole lot more work um, available um, around regeneration, um, pest trapping, um, weed removal, regeneration, food forests, all that sort of stuff. And I can imagine a whole army of people working in really sustaining jobs. They're really like, they feel good and they're probably physically good for you. But I can also, on the other end, imagine a whole lot of white collar innovation, um, financing new ideas, um, challenging the status quo, testing and, 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 and managing you know, new business opportunities. And I, I kind of think 
if you look at the future and the opportunities that will exist from it, um, ultimately we, we're a service economy and that's a good thing for humanity, like not producing things because the supply chains and the ecosystem negative impact is much less, but the positive impact is so high. So not only we've got this tourism thing, but I always say, if you do something, do it so well that you can replicate it and export it. The second thing I would say is, if you're doing it so well, you might as well show people that you're doing it really well. So this stuff becomes everything. Tourism is just the experience economy. It's just a way in which to show somebody something that's interesting, good or different. And I see this as a place that can use tourism to accelerate and spread the work that we're doing here. A way in which, obviously, to monetize, but to actualize this spread and change in, in the way in which we think about what we do on this earth. This has been Travel Beyond, presented by Destination Think, and that was Trent Yeo, Executive Director at ZipTrek EcoTours. My co host is Rodney Payne. Steve Henderson of Arcade Motion asked that last question, and he recorded this season's interviews on site in Queenstown Lakes. This episode has been produced and has theme music composed by me, David Archer. Lindsay Payne and Annika Rautiola provided production support. This has been the final episode of this season of Travel Beyond, focusing on Queenstown Lakes and their goal to reach carbon zero by 2030. We would like to thank Destination Queenstown, Lake Wanaka Tourism, and Queenstown Lakes District Council for their participation, their boldness, and for their trust in Destination Think throughout this project. Thanks for listening, and stay tuned for next season. See you then.